there's a curtain of dense fog. It's heavy. Spadefoot can feel it on his skin. His fur is dripping. It's not just the mist. Some blood, too. Spadefoot, you feel cold iron in your hands. It's not from here. It's what you've trained with. Fifty years. To you, a blink of the eye. That's what it is in the Fey realm. A twisting of time. Fifty years. More than most swordsmen could boast. You've become a honed weapon, in a way. You're still spadefoot, of course. You were never meant to wield a sword. You are a fawn of the Fey. It's not something you're built for. It's not a world that needs blades. But you decided to help him. In turn, he taught you this. How to use it. Hear his voice. Spadefoot! To the east! You feel your hooves padding along the ground against the violet grass. There's an incline, and then a crater. To the north! And then up the incline on the other side of the crater, over another hill. You think you see him for a moment. Far off to your left, he's fighting with something, a shape larger than him, dark. You can see his steel whiplash back and forth. Quick strikes. Softer than your own. Weaker than your own. To the south! You fold out of the fog and into another clearing, and then you see her. Fifty years. She's been dead for fifty years. She's not from here. You see a skeleton there. Ashen gray dress. The shimmering moss. Once a whimsical backdrop. Once something of joy. Now something infectious, crawling at her, eating away at her flesh. She's been long gone. Fifty years for this. And then out of the white fog, your vision clears. Your eyes blink open. You feel pain. Pain on your whole body. It's ice. It's not something you're used to. It's not something that happens in the world of Fae. In the inverted pools that dot the crystal woods. In the upside-down world of toads and music. It's a very new thing to you. It hurts. Your bones feel stiff. Your muscles feel cold and slow. You stand up. It's your third day now. Five months ago, five months before the Crimson Tower fell, it's the dead of winter. You're in a snowstorm. Pluto, you can see him riding on the white wind. And you continue your walk. You're walking through the crystal woods through a horrendous blizzard, a powerful, malignant thing. There you are. You're walking. Pluto is hovering above you. Does Pluto seem to have a direction that he's going, or he's just like... Hmm. In the days before, he had been leading you to some extent. Now you can tell he's wavering. There's a sort of uneasiness to his flight. The winter wind, the ice, is starting to affect his senses. You're not sure if he's leading you anywhere anymore. 
Oh no. Um, I'll I'll take him and put him in my poncho. Okay. Call down to him. Yeah, and put him in there so he doesn't freeze. Um. Okay. So what's around me? Is it? Is I mean? Is it just complete blizzard? It is a complete blizzard. This was the worst of it. The pinnacle. Um. I think that he. I think Spadefoot would panic a little bit, and um, he would follow the same directions he was given 50 years ago. You'd go east mm, and east. then north and then um, south. Hmm. That's interesting. In a circle. Almost. Yep. You travel for a bit north, about an hour in the same duration, east and then south dwelling on the memory. This place, it's so strange. It's it remembers where you go and uses as a reference point for where you end up. Not like the Fey world at all. There you could go to a place by simply going there and then there you were. Here, if you walk ten paces north, you're ten paces north. It's a troublesome thing. You end up in a circle, in a grove, confused, icy wind is heavy, falling on you. It reminds you of the fog back then. Okay. You're starting to feel your body slow down. Um, I'll eat the um, arnica firm that I have to warm myself up. Hmm. Put the clump of fern. Just a little bit. <laughs> put the clump of fern into your mouth. You can feel heat rush down your throat into your heart and your belly. You're feeling better now. You can probably push on for a little longer. Where do you go? Remember, you have the map that Epistle gave you. <laughs> right. I didn't forget about that. I'll take... Oh my god, that's literally the biggest, boldest thing on my inventory. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll take that map out from Epistle, and um, I'll keep moving while I read it, because I definitely will die if I stop moving at this point. Yeah. So, what's this map look like? What, what the fuck am I looking at? <laughs> it is a labyrinthine scrawling. From where you began and from where you think you are now, the closest landmark to reference would probably be a tall crystal pillar somewhere in this same grove of old oaks that you find yourself in. Roll wit. Let's see if you can navigate there. 18. 18. With the heat of the arnica fern on your tongue and the warmness of Pluto tied against your body, you're able to push on and find this crystal spire. You're on the right track, at least, to, to him, the one who can ground you. You're on the right path, the road to Moragog, the one that can bring your essence and mix it with the world of here and now. Something that can allow you to survive here, to help your friends. Um, looking at this map, now that I have this landmark and I can figure out at least where I am on the map, what's the nearest structure? From here, it's the White Lady's Tea House. About eight miles north. <laughs> Yikes. Okay. I'm going to try to head in that direction. 
And uh, I would like to remind you that Spadefoot is fleet of foot, so he's not affected by rough or difficult terrain. Okay. So there's at least that. Um, Through the frozen swamp, with your agile hooves, that'll help. But against the bitter cold, yeah. as your arnica fern starts to fade, it may not. Roll might. Wow, it's not like might is my worst skill. Wow! <laughs> One. Uh-oh. <laughs> LOL. Well, it's good knowing you. Yeah. That was a cool miniature arc we did there, boys. <laughs> About three miles up north, headed towards the tea house, you do feel yourself start to waver. You look down at your hooves and you can see frost built onto them into, into a heavy shell you realize you can't feel the bottom of your legs anymore you start to falter you start to dig into the swamp the icy swamp now the trees look so imposing curve towards you in the fey world they were tall pillars glistening with maple sap they were golden and glistening in an ever summer here they're they're booling you pushing you down, their roots grasping at you. You start to give in. You feel your knees hit the ground. The wind picks up even harsher. And then, a glimmer of hope. A warmth. There's a hot wind blowing. You feel it rustle your fur, and it's comforting. But when you look up and see what it's coming from, quickly fades that hope that you had about 50 clicks north of you you see the snow melting the swamp melting the trees are beginning to smoke and steam slithering through the trees pressing against the wood which is creaking under its might is a glistening prismatic scaled Dragon. Motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is about 25 feet in length. <laughs> Spadefoot wouldn't know this, but it's an adolescent. A young thing. It's crawling towards you, mighty talons, dragging its massive body in your direction. The thing is wingless. Its face, though snouted, has a almost person look of feral joy on it. Then you feel a presence at your back and when you look over your right shoulder you see someone standing there. At first you think it's a trick of the light. It's that same prismatic scaling. This sort of kaleidoscope of shimmering rainbow. Then you realize it's armor. When you look back to the dragon you can see their scales at a plucked from its skin. That's sick. A big spot missing, a big gap at its left-hand side. It's been reshaped into this person, this lanky, bent, crooked person, probably about six foot five, wearing a shell of this crystal dragon armor. Holy shit. Okay. Their hilt, too, of the sword that they have is made out of the same. The scales bent and crooked into a hilt to hold a long silver blade. It's very thin, but twice the length of most swords you've seen yet. 
Oh. He looks down at you. This is it, huh? This is the great fawn we were sent to dispatch. Wait, what's the helmet look like? The helmet looks almost like a hood. It's not ornamental or anything. It's just the scales shaped into a into a a hood-like structure that has been placed over his head. It is masked, however. One of the scales in particular have been bent into a, a rough nose. You can see his breath coming out of it into the winter wind. He circles you, kind of making a line in the snow around you with the sword. I must say, when I was informed that you would be such a threat to our goals and desires, I was expecting a little something more than this. A a shriveling, snot-nosed wayfarer of our realm, barely able to make a trek through the the woodland forest here in a winter storm. You'd think you'd be a little bit more prepared. He kind of leans down, looks at you, (laughs) jostles his head about (laughs) in sort of a mocking way. Um, do you have a name? A name. I had a name once, I think. I think now you can call me Zale. That's great. Wow. That is really good. Zale is a beginning and an end. I am your beginning and your end, so I think it is only fitting for myself to call me that. Oh, I thought Zale was just a name. Zale is a principle. Zale is a movement. Zale is a bookend on a history of misery. Zale is a a fresh seed planted in a spring bow. For you, however, Zale is this sword. Kind of shows you this long silver blade rested on both of his palms. This sword's name is Zale, too. Um... Well, I would like to discern this character. What is their weakness? <laughs> <laughs> you need to know that you want to know their weakness. Yeah, I want to know their weakness. I, I don't I don't want to know because that'll give me sort of a frame of mind of what what, what am I talking to? Hmm. hmm. Man, I think for the dragon that would be easier, but for this gentleman, mm-hmm. I think that any sort of touch of light or goodness in magic could deal a significant amount of harm to this person as opposed to most. This person is a fallen warrior of the divine and the retribution that divine magic could deal him would be significant. Damn, it'd be good if I had some of that, huh? (laughs) It would be good. He sees something in your mind, too. He seems to understand what you're doing. Oh. Oh, no, 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 no. I don't think there's any thinking your way out of this one. You see, you are frozen to the ground, and I am brought to a almost youth-like comfort from the heat of Zale that lives in his child. He motions over to the dragon, and in his body, in motions towards his scale armor. Your eyes... Your eyes are a problem, I think. Oh, no. What with your thinking and your discerning, I think your eyes will cause us trouble. I think your eyes are why I've been sent here. Not for you, in particular. Do I need glasses? You won't. 
And then he takes his gauntleted thumb and sticks it into your right eye. Oh my god! He sticks it into your eye deep and you feel pain shoot through your head. I think... I don't think Spadefoot has ever felt pain like this before. And I think my poor little fawn boy would just collapse. As much as I would like to say there's some, like... Like, he would do something heroic. That is not what this character is. I think he just, like, holds his eye, and I think he just sits down. (laughs) There's blackness. Oh. You're gone. Cool. Am I still cold? You still feel cold. Some time passes. Then, at the soft, dark edges of your mind, you hear some murmurs. Some mumbled talking. You feel yourself elevated up in a straight line, as if you're floating. And then you feel yourself moving. As if you're being floated on the the edge of some water. And then you feel yourself go down like you're falling off of a waterfall. And there's that feeling of falling that you would get in a dream. And it just seems to last forever and ever and ever. And then your blurred vision, the one eye flickers open and you see above you a dark wooden ceiling high arches and you start to smell smells like boiled greens and berries and a sharp scent of some something spiced like a a tea or a cake and then craning over you see this white skinned figure draped in silvery robes her hair's pulled back straight. Her eyes are big and violet colored. They're moving and rippling like water, and you can't tell if it's from your your strange blurred vision or the hallucinations from pain or or something something about her that's making this happen, some sort of magic. You've been hurt. Do I... I mean, obviously I would be like, I don't have an eye. Right? You're correct. Um, I think I need glasses now. I don't think I can make glasses for you, but we have fashioned for you an eye patch. Oh, that's nice. That's sort of the opposite of glasses, but I appreciate it. We took great care in making the eye patch. We saw that you held many acorns. So we've decided to sew an acorn into it. We've made it out of silver thread. Fuck yes! I'm sorry about your loss. Mm, it's alright. I mean, I guess I'm, I'm here. I mean, your eyes are really pretty. And it's warm here and it smells like berries, so I guess it can't be that bad. You see a, a gentle smile 
form across her face. You can tell on this face, a rare thing. And finally, you start to feel your hands again, and you can feel that your hands are held in hers. Her hands are very big and very long. It's almost... It almost makes you uneasy. Oh, good. Rest. In the morning, we will help you arrive. I want to discern her. Okay. I want to know uh, what her primary ability is. Her primary ability is the, the, the power to enchant. In her hands, as she holds you, you feel a magical vibration. What she can do is project magical essences into things. That's that's real sick. What's important now is that you're safe. You've been healed. But I would like you to know that it is spring. You've lost some time. Oh my god! Um. Oh, that's kind of um, not good. There's lots of things going on, and it's really busy. I'm going to try to sit up. You try and sit up. You start to, and you feel like you might have the strength if you really put a lot of effort into it. But it does hurt. And she rests her hand, her big hand, on your right shoulder and presses you back down. Gently. Spadefoot, please rest. I know what has befallen you. These things travel to me. It's a sort of a deal that I've agreed upon and that others have agreed upon with me. We will make sure you get to where you're going. She stands up. You can see how tall she is now. She almost reaches the high, dark oak ceilings. And as she stands in the doorway, a couple feet away from you, she says, If you're who I think you are, it is very important for all of us that you get to where you're going. She closes the door behind her. And she makes her way onto a balcony just across from this room and looks down out over her tea house. The thick crystal glass walls that look out into the the verdant garden around you and over the the big wooden tables where uh, a very a varied assortment of travelers, wanderers, cartographers, scholars, alchemists have come all intersecting in this nexus of travel and study and discovery. It is the White Lady's Tea House, and the White Lady herself stands atop the balcony at attention. She peers over the crowd, and as her gaze washes over them, a silence and a a reciprocating attention matches hers. The noise dies down. People stop pouring tea just holding their positions and waiting. It is rare for her to make an appearance and even rarer for her to make any sort of request. But those in the tea house that rely so heavily on her spot as an inn, as a tavern, as a resting place, well, there is an obligation there. She puts her long white hands on the balcony's edge looks over the crowd and says, In my company there is a fawn who is healing. Tomorrow morning he will be healed. That means he will be waking up and he will be leaving the tea house. I need three guardians. 
to bring this fawn to his destination. This is my annual asking. I give you tea, I give you food, I give you warm beds. Who among you will be my three guardians? A, uh, a fear, a fear bulk fur stands up to his full height. He was sitting at a table, drinking tea, eating berries. You know, what you do here. Yeah. And uh, he stands up to his full height, about six foot seven. Very wiry, lanky man. He is wearing a mask, mm. as uh, as is common among the 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 furs of the the chirping village. Is that what we call it now? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he puts his hand up, raises his hand, is big, like meaty hand. His hands are weird, like they're like big and knotted. It says, uh, sounds fun. She lowers her vision for a moment. Hawk Tooth. It is not my place to tell you what is happening in this forest. You amongst this crowd knows the risk and the consequences of what is happening here. I would hesitate to send Blue Jay's son into the fray. Are you quite sure? Don't think I can pass a story up like this. You know? Hmm. Sounds like there's something happening. Yes, indeed there is. Fine. You will be our first guardian. I need two more guardians. Hawktooth is a good shot. And that is all I know of him. (laughs) We will need more than that against the foe that we are facing. It might take the White Lady uh, a moment to notice towards the back of the room there is a very small individual with a loaf of bread in his mouth and the other hand just sticking straight up and almost like bouncing with energy. And it takes a moment and... Realizes he's trying to eat and talk at the same time. It's not <laughs> working. And uh, just spits a, a bit of bread on the ground. And I will not let this opportunity pass me. Hmm. Kind, I'm not sure what opportunity you're mentioning besides most certain death. Um, however, I appreciate your enthusiasm. <laughs> Treacherous ro- roads lead to rich bounties. Hmm. I think that in most cases that is that is true, but these times are very different. I will forewarn you that the enemy you face is very mighty. I do not worry about large and strong foes, for I am quick and I am just as strong. Hell yeah. Fuck yes. Hmm. Okay. You two are very good warriors. But this foe is also a deep magician. 
We will need someone of the divine in some way for our third guardian. She looks around. As she looks around next to the fireplace, there's a uh, large black fawn kind of sitting with some small boy with a bandaged face. He kind of stands up and pushes his chair back. He says, I will take the fawn. Boy, get our things ready. The boy kind of lifts up, almost robotically raises his arms, starts wrapping things in tight gray canvas. The white lady meets your gaze, Mordred. That wasn't necessarily what I meant by a warrior of the divine. However, since I have no such priest of the light here, I suppose, Mordred, in these trying times, you will have to do. I will do my best. Mordred, need I remind you that if one of these fall, it is unceremonious to do such things with their bodies in my woodland. All things must die. I merely help them along the way. I do not wish the fawn to die. Everything has its time. That's not for me to decide. Hmm. I'm just asking that you don't accidentally expedite this process. It's very important that the fawn arrives alive in the way that I mean, not the way that you mean. Mordred's nose flares and he kind of huffs. <laughs> Tempting. No. Maybe well, maybe no. No. No, definitely not. Yes, understood. <laughs> it is very good that it is understood because the fawn's arrival to Moragok, the Hermit of the Clay, means to us the fate of this forest. All right, you three. Make ready for the morning. We leave at dawn. I'll see you guys next week. Ooh.